bitches! Here is a surprise, short but fun, I hope, episode of So What in honor of this festive season. It's a little Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Kwanzaa slash winter solstice slash whatever else you celebrate or nothing at all. Treat! Delight! To celebrate this wintry time, this episode will be about the history of Fair Isle knitwear, specifically those comfy Fair Isle jumpers or sweaters or whatever else you want to call them. How cozy! Ugh, love that. I envision you all listening to this episode while wearing oversized cardigans or jumpers while drinking tea or hot chocolate in front of a roaring fire. I'm just projecting my ideal wintertime scene onto all of you. Anyway, as always, images and sources are up on the So What social media pages. That's at So What Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Woohoo! Also, also, get excited for February 2021 when season two starts. Some needlework joy for all of you in the coldest months in many parts of the Western Hemisphere, but like honestly, if you are in the Eastern Hemisphere or whatever, go out and enjoy the warmth for the rest of us, please. And speaking of season two, in the weeks leading up to February, I'll be releasing So What's new website and Patreon so you can access episodes easier and support the pod if you want to. All of that will be posted on the So What social media, so be sure to follow it on whatever your favorite social media platform is. Remember, it's at So What Podcast. So like S-E-W, because it's about needlework, right? That's what we're here for, right? Right? Yes. Okay, now let's get into the actual episode. Okay, let's start with some basic key points before going all the way back in time. Two things. The first, Fair Isle is an actual place, one of the Shetland Islands off the coast of Scotland. Second thing, Fair Isle knitted jumpers became a super big deal starting in around 1921, when the Prince of Wales, later Edward VIII, wore Fair Isle jumpers in public. Okay, now let's go back further. Fair Isle lies between Orkney Island and the largest island known as the Mainland. It's on a major sea route that used to go between Europe and the Americas for centuries. That sea route ended up becoming really important for the spread of Fair Isle knitwear. So, the commercialization of Fair Isle knitwear began with a long tradition of island men who traveled the world on whaling ships and traded their knit goods for various necessities. When those dudes were out at sea and when it was dark and rainy, their wives and children sat knitting and developed a lot of fun and flirty knitting patterns. What a delight, right? And those women and children had been knitting for centuries. In 1774, Fair Islanders rode out to ships wearing, according to someone on one of those ships, quote, the softest cloth I ever saw made out of wool, end quote. And in 1814, Sir Walter Scott went to Fair Isle and saw men wearing, quote, striped worsted caps, end quote. Is it pronounced worsted or worsted? I've honestly never known. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I think I'm pronouncing it wrong all the time. I don't know, but I'm going to go ahead and say worsted. Okay, but back to the knitting. So everything changes in 1845 when there was a significant decline in living standards on the island. This was due to poor fishing and farming seasons, and lots of people left Fair Isle for other countries, which is so grim. But, slowly but surely, Shetland knitting and Fair Isle knitwear specifically was starting to get noticed. The Great Exhibition of 1851, which was held in Crystal Palace in London, featured a catalog of Shetland knitting patterns, and in 1862, the first newspaper advertisement for Fair Isle knitwear appeared. And then, in the early 20th century, 1902-4-ish to be specific, William Bruce and his crew took more than 100 Fair Isle garments with them on their expedition to Antarctica. 
So as you can see, there were bits of Fair Isle knitwear here and there for decades. But then, several decades later, Fair Isle hit the big time. It is all happening! In 1921, the Prince of Wales started wearing a Fair Isle jumper while golfing, and painter Stanley Cursiter painted the Fair Isle jumper in 1923. Cursiter was from the Orkney Islands and was integral to the introduction of post-impressionism and futurism to Scotland. And his painting is so truly fun and flirty, his painting of the Fair Isle jumper. It's on the So What social media pages, and I really enjoy the subject's matching floppy hat. Now, when the Prince of Wales wore Fair Isle jumpers, they were in pretty neutral colors like brown, gray, and white. But his wearing the jumpers ushered in a Fair Isle craze in the 1920s and 30s that hasn't really ever gone away. Now, Fair Isle knitwear is everywhere and has been reinterpreted by countless designers and fashion people. Ralph Lauren even included a Fair Isle jumper in his first collection in the early 1980s. And what's become of Fair Isle itself? Well, in 1947, a dude named George Waterston bought the island and built a bird observatory. And then in 1954, the National Trust for Scotland bought the island to secure its protection. In the 1980s, Fair Isle knitwear was trademarked and then started to be mass-produced. And then in 2011, a crafts co-op transformed the knitwear from a subsistence craft to a luxury good. And there you are, the Fair Isle knitwear history. So now let's think about the jumpers themselves. How did the Fair Isle knitwear aesthetic, with its colored stripes and geometric motifs, come to be? Well, legend has it that Spaniards got stranded on Fair Isle after the breakup of the Spanish Armada in 1588, and supposedly they taught the islanders to use the colors and patterns typical of Fair Isle knitting. But there is also evidence that these designs were influenced by Scandinavian designs, which seems more likely. But truly, truly, I have no idea, and that's just my immediate thought when I look at Fair Isle designs. If you know more, please let me know. And what is up with the many colors of Fair Isle jumpers? Well, wool from the Shetland Islands has been a variety of fun colors since the 19th century. The colors came partly from different breeds of sheep, but more often from dyes. Matter and indigo resulted in red and blue, and lichens made red, brown, orange, and purple. Brightly colored synthetic dyes were invented in the 1850s and subsequently increased the possible color range, but were not used really that often. The early Fair Isle knitters stitched stockings, caps, and scarves. Fair Isle jumpers, the ones that are so synonymous with cozy, wintry times, were not made until World War I. Those jumpers were constructed by knitting horizontal bands with two different colored strands of wool and involved motifs like crosses, diamonds, and eight-pointed stars. The 1920s and 30s saw probably the most hip-hop and period of innovation in Fair Isle knitwear design. During those decades, there was a lot of experimentation with patterns and garment shapes and colors and even fibers. And now there are so many different patterns and motifs and color combos that I couldn't even give you a full list even if I wanted to, which I do want to, but I can't. In terms of motifs, there are flower shapes and diamonds and X's and O's and eight-pointed stars and hearts and snowflake-looking things and things that I haven't even seen before but that are out there. And my god, there are so many Fair Isle knitting patterns available. I looked on Google. It is insane. It feels like truly an infinite amount. It's not, but that is how it feels. And now you may ask, what's the Fair Isle knitwear technique? What do those stitchy-stitchy needles do? So, Basic two-color Fair Isle knitwear requires just the basic knitting stitch. Purling is not used if one is knitting with circular knitting needles or three or more double-pointed needles. 
Traditional Fair Isle patterns only use about five or so colors and only two colors per row. The traditional jumpers are worked in the round and limit the length of a run of any particular colors. Since the 1990s, the term Fair Isle has been applied pretty loosely, referring to any stranded colored knitting, even if it's not from the Shetland Islands or even close to them. Now, at this point, I'm going to read a few paragraphs from Wikipedia, which I know is a super bold move, but the reason I'm doing this is because it's a really good description of how these pieces are knit. Okay, here we go. Quote, At each knit stitch, there are two available active colors of yarn. One is drawn through to make the knit stitch, and the other is simply held behind the piece, carried as a loose strand of yarn behind the just-made stitch. To avoid loose strands larger than 3 to 5 inches, the yarn not in use can be caught by the yarn in use without this being seen on the front of the work. Knitters who are comfortable with both English style and continental style knitting can carry one color with their right hand and one with their left, although it is also possible to simply use two different fingers for the two colors of yarn and knit both using the same style. The simplest fair isle pattern uses circular or double-pointed needles cast on any number of stitches. Knitting then continues round and round with the colors alternated every stitch. If the pattern is started with an even number of stitches, a vertically striped tube of fabric will be formed, while an odd number will create a diagonal grid that appears to mix the two colors. Traditional Fair Isle patterns normally had no more than two or three consecutive stitches of any given color because they were stranded, and too many consecutive stitches of one color means a very long strand of the other, quite easy to catch with a finger or button. A more modern variation is Woven Fair Isle, where the unused strand is held in slightly different positions relative to the needles and thereby woven into the fabric, still invisible from the front, but trapped closely against the back of the piece. This permits a nearly limitless variety of patterns with considerably larger blocks of color. Traditionally, Fair Isle jumper construction involves knitting the body of the jumper completely in the round. Steeks, S-T-E-E-K-S, from the Scottish word meaning stitch to close shut and comprising several stitches, are worked across the armhole openings, allowing the body to be completed in the round without interruption. Once the main body of the jumper is complete, the armhole steeks are cut open. Sometimes these are secured before cutting. Stitches are then picked up around the armhole opening and the sleeve is knitted down toward the cuff in the round. End quote. You still with me? Okay, good. I hope you are. Thank you, Wikipedia. I am living and loving the detail of that technical description, to be honest, and I hope you are too. And now that I've spoken about the history of the Fair Isle jumper and knitting technique, I'm going to conclude with a bit of a bigger picture view of how Fair Isle knitwear got to be so popular in the 1920s and 30s. This is thanks to Joan Frazier, who wrote a really helpful article about this for a company called Frazier Knitwear, which I'm just assuming is named after Joan herself. Joan makes some really good points about why Fair Isle Knitwear got popular when it did. In the 1920s, women's fashion got a lot more typically masculine. I very much know that there are more than two genders, and it's not as easy as saying some fashion is masculine and some is feminine, but in the 1920s, women's fashion definitely adopted silhouettes and shapes that resulted in flatter chests and smaller hips, and that resulted in a more androgynous, boyish look. So when Fair Isle jumpers became popular for men, they became popular for women too. The Shetland knitwear situation was actually a bit cyclical, as the vogue for jumpers from that area was actually a result of the fact that they were worn by both genders. 
Before the 1920s, Shetland knitwear sales were really gender-specific. There were frokes for men and lace shawls for women. So basically, the jumper grew out of a need for genderless clothing, and then it got popular and demand increased massively. Joan ends her article with this helpful quote. Quote, I have been intrigued to find that the masculinization of women's fashions was clearly not a one-way street. The popularity of the Fair Isle jumper signified a temporary return to more flamboyant dressing in men. One would think that Fair Isle, with its multicolored patterns and often rather floral motifs, might have been too decorative to be considered truly masculine in the 20th century. However, as Christine Arnold says in her article on gender dynamics in Shetland knitwear, Fair Isle knitwear did and does allow men a certain amount of the sartorial display enjoyed by Scottish men. The Scottish male national costume champions male decorative display. This is considered masculine and encouraged by all the generations. Indeed, many societies still encourage colorful male dress and do not look upon it as dandified. And as Dr. Christensen points out, today's necktie is in the same tradition as the showier clothing worn by the 18th and 19th century gentlemen. His ornate silk waistcoat with floral motifs and fancy buttons, just visible beneath his coat, was in its own turn an echo of the more conspicuous dress of an earlier age. It can be said, then, that just as the Fair Isle jumper allowed women freedom from the restrictions of female clothing, it liberated men to be a little more in touch with their peacock side." End quote. And yes, again, gendering clothing is not a good time, but it is necessary to realize that for much of history and in many different places, clothing was gendered, and that in this instance, Fair Isle knitwear allowed women more androgynous, simpler shapes, and men brighter colors and prints than men's clothing had offered for decades. Imagine being a woman going from an Edwardian tea dress or a man going from a black or dark gray Victorian suit to this. It must have definitely rocked some worlds and blown some minds. But that's the power of needlework, the power to transform. So there you go, a tiny little festive episode all about knitwear. It's a holiday present from me to you. I hope that you're having a lovely festive season and that if you're not, I hope this gets you in the mood a little bit. Now's the time to don your Fair Isle jumpers, or if you're in the Eastern Hemisphere, time to turn on your air conditioning and rock those jumpers in July. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all for real in February. Yay for season two! Now go out and stitch some stories and get started on knitting your stripy patterned jumpers. Bye!